David. Yeah. What are we known for in the among the various sports and other stuff podcasts in the world? Mm-hmm. What what would you say are our niche areas? Takes so bad they're funny. Okay, bad takes that are hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, witty banter. Sure. Um, great commentary on literature. That's hey, kind of one-sided, though. You do literature well. I do. Uh, I literature hard. Um, Is that three? Math. Dodgers analysis. Okay. I mean, ain't, ain't no analysis like Anthony Dodger analysis, because Anthony's Dodger analysis just don't stop. And? I don't know. Crime reporting. Oh, yeah, that too. Jewel Heist. I feel like we've gotten away from that. For, wait. We have an update, David. On the Swedish Jewel Heist. No. There's resolution. Oh my gosh. I, I it's kind been of quite view, a weekend. I feel this uh, I feel like this this story, hmm. long time listener long time listener will know, um, of the Swedish Jewel Heist. We started reporting on it, I believe it was in July of last year. It was one of our one of our first shows ever. That's right. Um, and the the case was that there was one or more individuals fleeing from a really old church in Sweden with crown jewels that were um, belonged to a king and queen from the 17th century in Sweden. They escaped by bicycle and then boat and uh, and then disappeared. And the eyewitness testimony was amazing. Amazingly, because it was bad. Amazingly bad. <laughs> uh, my favorite quote from that story was, I was suspicious because of how they were running with the jewels. <laughs> or something to that effect. <laughs> Wait a second. They're running with some jewels. Uh well, David, a, f- a couple months, ago, a few months ago, we reported that uh, there was a, someone in custody. Right, they caught one of the dudes. They caught one, and uh, and he was being held and questioned. Uh, turns out his name is Nicholas Backstrom. Oh, we got a name. And uh, he was recently sentenced to four and a half years in prison for stealing these jewels. Now, how did the police figure it out? Well, he was under. He was. Being interrogated, and he admitted, he admitted to stealing a bike and a boat. The bike and the boat that were used for the getaway. But he said, but I had nothing to do with any jewel heist. Okay. So, okay. Yep. He admitted to stealing the bike and the boat that were used in the jewel heist getaway. The bike that was used from the church to the water. Sure. And the, and the boat that was used from the water to get away. And he had nothing to do with the jewel heist, but he was... What a coincidence, ...on right? the bike and on the boat. Yeah. And that was his story until a DNA test came. Oh, so so what happened? How they, they, they couldn't pin it on him, right? This was his story. They couldn't pin it on him. And then a security guard uh, found on top of a trash can the jewels, just like sitting in a bag. No one knows how they got there because the guy was like in custody. And so there's, there's definitely like someone else involved. So they couldn't they couldn't fence the stolen jewels, and they just had to dump them somewhere. I guess so. Yeah, I, I would assume hot. that's a hard thing to move, right? Stolen, especially once jewels. it's widely reported. Sure. Um, so you're saying we helped? Well, not help. I think we were um, instrumental, instrumental, integral, essential, um, repetitive, uh, redundant. I mean, most of the big breaks in the case came when we were doing our biggest reporting and when I went there physically. That's true. You did go to Sweden and put a lot of pressure on the on the law enforcement there to get something done and then something got done. And so so this guy's stewing in a jail cell. You're like a private eye. They used to call him private dicks, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Just saying you were a dick for a while. It's a family show, dude. I almost got through that without laughing. Um, <laughs> Alright, so dude sitting um, poor poor Nicholas Backstrom sitting in jail. Um, all he did was steal a bike and a boat. Uh, yeah. I mean, he didn't steal the, the $7 million crown jewels. No, just, just a bike and a boat. Um, and then they found the jewels, and they tested them, and they found his DNA on them. And once they found the DNA, he uh, he confessed to the crime. But he still maintains it was just him and him alone. So, I think I have to go back to Sweden. Sounds like it. I have to find the other perpetrator. Sounds like it. And we have to continue reporting on the story. Right. These getaway vehicles brought to you by the letter B. 
bikes and boats. Oh, got it. Okay. They'll start with B. All right. Well, if there's one, if there's, I think if we had a hashtag, not a hashtag, a saying, a slogan, a, what's that called? A tagline, a catchphrase for our show, it'd be dumb crime doesn't pay. Right. Or. Oh, I thought you were going to end the segment with that. We're going, there's more? Okay. No, there really isn't more. Okay. Then why'd you keep talking? Well, I was going to amend it, but now I feel like I've lost my gusto, so let's just talk sports. But you feel like now you've lost your gusto. You feel like that yeah, was, I was the moment. I was full gust. <laughs> you were full gust. Until- I was full gust and uh, totally gone now. You know so say- there's no good way to end this segment now. You know how to say gusto in Spanish? Gusto. Is that a good way to end the segment? No, there's no good way to end the segment, Anthony. There's no good way to end the segment. This is Subjectively Correct Sports with Anthony Montague, David Henderson. Uh, Subscribe, like, leave us a review. Uh, Share our website, subjectivelycorrect.com, with your friends, with your family. You can check out the one article that Anthony uh, wrote, and I'll get one, I promise. My life has been busy. Uh, Hashtag soon. Yeah. Anyway, check out our website. Send us an email at subjectivelycorrect at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from our fans. Still waiting for that third email. (laughs) We got the first two quickly third one would be dope uh sports happened i think for the first time in months enough sports happened over the weekend that we could fill an entire hour two hour show just talking about things that went down and i think the most important thing was the elbow that Joel and b just gave that dude from the nets that was the biggest thing in sports. an elbow to the nets oh. <laughs> i don't know sure okay uh david i think you're burying the lead he's back Joel Embiid. He's back. No, David, he's back. After who knows how long it's been, we can... Every, the sports world... The sports world has been waiting for this day. And Clayton Kershaw takes the mound for the first time this season. He's back, baby. Well, tell his next stint in the, in the minors for the sure. next injury. And then when he comes back, he'll be back again. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. Death taxes and Clayton Kershaw on the DL, man. <laughs> Book it. Uh, no, obviously we're not talking about Clayton Kershaw. Not talking about Joel Embiid. We're talking about Tiger Woods. Eldrick yeah. Tiger Woods. You forgot his other name. What's his other Eldrick name? Eldrick Taunt. Taunt. Tiger That's Woods. right. Taunt. Uh, he plays a sport where taunting is like really frowned upon. Yeah. Interesting. So it's not often that golf leads the show. But if it does, it's usually because Tiger's involved. A tradition unlike any other. Welcome, friends. People that don't care about golf suddenly caring because Tiger's involved. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Um, As we're watching, um, it's me and my two boys and my oldest girl. She's three years old. We're watching the final few holes uh, as Tiger uh, now takes the lead and then extends the lead. And then secures the major. And on that final putt to win the Masters, I uh, I stood up and, and gave a woo. And my boys kind of... Tone, tone it down. My boy, <laughs> Yes, it was very undignified for a golf fan. My boys kind of stood up and, and did like a yeah. And then the three-year-old wanting to join in and knowing that something important was happening said... Raising her arms, he is very good. (laughs) (laughs) But she's she's able to recognize very goodness. She is. Yeah. Right. Wow. Well, the last time he won a major, she was negative eleven years old. So. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. None of my kids have seen a. uh, The oldest is eight, and he uh, he wasn't around last time Tiger won a major. I think one of the most interesting things that Tiger Woods said after the game was. My kids only know golf as something that brings their dad pain. And I was like, that's an amazing thing to say. That over the last 11 years, the last time Tiger Woods has won a major, and the last time that, because I guess we only care about majors, and just like golf and tennis, we we watch and we care about the majors and really not much else. But we, uh, it's been 11 years since Tiger Woods has won a major tournament, and his kids have never seen him be successful in golf, which is amazing because he is one of, if not the most dominant golfers of all time. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, courses changed their layout to make it more difficult for him. 
That's incredible. Yeah. I can't imagine any other sport where that would happen. I can't imagine like even like when Barry Bonds was dominating the way he was. Yeah. There weren't there weren't baseball teams that were going out there and saying, "Okay, let's extend the right field fence by 30 feet." Yeah. You I know. So um I went to law school at Stanford and Tiger went undergrad at Stanford. He left early cuz he was he needed to make some money, right? He did, he did not need to be there. But no. while he was there, he was on the golf team, obviously. And uh, I played that golf course a number of times and talked to the people who worked there. and Because uh, it was really cheap for students to play. Cool. And uh, it was it's like a really nice course, and it's like 20 bucks around for students, right? Anyways. Um, and so I talked to the, the golf course workers who were around when Tiger was a student and remembered him. And he, they said essentially he played like a couple of times and then just wouldn't play anymore because it was too easy. Like he would, where there's like a dog leg, he would just skip the dog leg and just drive straight to the game, <laughs> right? Like on a par four, par five. And he'd go and play, instead would play like Pebble Beach and Spyglass that were only an hour or so away because they were, uh, they were, they were more of a test for him, right? So it, it's like that part in Gladiator. It's like, where he's like, is this it? <laughs> right. Uh, and it's he was, in terms of like the hype, he was like LeBron James before LeBron James. For yeah. He was famous. I mean, he was on national television when he was a kid. Yeah. Right? And he was playing against professionals in his teens as an amateur. Like, he was 14 years old and played in the LA Open. And, um, and people knew who he was. And he was winning majors by 1999 right he's 43 years old right now second oldest uh, masters winner of all time so back in 1999 20 years ago he was 23 years old right but he was I, well, no he he had to start winning before then maybe it was 97 i think it was 97 when he when he won his first major we can look that up but he was winning majors in his early 20s and he went on a decade long streak of just major after major after major winning 14 majors in that course, and you know, over that fashion, in a lot of time, a lot of yeah, times. he uh, he 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 was so good. he won four majors in a row over the course of uh, two different golf seasons. To uh, so that there, there's now what's known as the Tiger Slam, right? Winning four in a row, uh, but not in the same calendar year. And a lot of people have been talking about: Is this the greatest comeback in sports history? And you think about. With George Foreman being away from boxing for like 20 years uh, and coming back and winning the the heavyweight title. Uh, Yeah, so the 97 Masters was his first major victory at what would have that been? His 21 years old. And so, and he won by how many strokes, Anthony? (laughs) 12 strokes. So his first major win. He dominated that. Yeah. As a 21 year old, he beat grown men by 12 strokes in golf a 12 stroke lead is like beating a football team by 45 or 70 points think about that that's that's a year after kobe bryant's rookie year that's kobe bryant's second year in the nba dang that he won his first major and he's still winning majors right or at least has has now won a major right i'm not gonna say it It didn't look easy for him it was the first time he's won it's the first time he's won a major when he didn't have a 54 hole lead or co-lead so it's the first time he Thanks said... Thanks for stealing my stat. Cool. He actually had to come back and win this one. And so people are like, is Tiger back? Is Tiger back? Is Tiger back? Well, I think this isn't the first tournament he's played well in this year. He's played other no. tournaments very well, and he even played well in the other uh, other majors. But this was the culmination of everything working in his favor. And uh, one of our sneaky good golfers of the week, Francesco Molinari, choking. That helped, too. Mm-hmm. But Well, then there were several... Uh, really good golfers who were in the final two pairings. They uh, because of the the condensed schedule, they had three in a in, in a group. Usually, yeah. you'll see two in a group yep. on the final day. Um, and they had to push up the the tee times quite a bit too to get. Yeah, they had a really early morning start. Uh, and so I think it was something like four of the final six players double bogeyed on twelve in Tiger Pard. And part of it is well, he's been there so many times, but but also he he's. He's just, he was in a zone. If you were watching, like, he was so dialed in. In fact, it was kind of, it was, it was, it was really um, weird to see on 18 when he, when he mishit that second shot and left it really short of the green, right? And you, all of a sudden, there's a little bit of doubt, right? Right, the drama's He had, he had a two-stroke lead. All he had to do was bogey 18, 
and he bogeyed 18, right? But it wasn't without drama. I no, mean, but, but like you said, he looked so chill through yeah. all of that. Like we've seen, especially when he's going through his most frustrating periods while he was trying to come back from injuries and he was going through so much outside of golf in his personal life, it was all yeah. in the shambles, right? And that shot, when he hit it so short, and I don't know if it was because they misjudged the wind so poorly or what it was, it was a terrible shot. And he just kind of sauntered over to his ball, hit a great approach shot to give him a perfect chance at a two-putt for the tournament win. And he, like you said, was so dialed in and so calm. But as he was walking up to his ball to hit that approach after his bad miss hit on 18, I'm surprised the announcers didn't pick up on this because they were trying to like, like almost willing him to cry to yeah. have that moment. He was actually tearing up on his way to that approach shot. And it's like the camera backed away from him at that time. Interesting. It was almost like, let's not show any emotion yet, which I think is weird in, in golf. It's like, I wanted to be like on his face the whole time because you could tell as he's walking up to that ball, he mentally, it feels like he knew, I'm going to win this tournament. Yeah. Well, I, I have some thoughts on the coverage as well. We can talk about that in a second. Um, I don't know what I was going to say. I guess we can talk about it now. So I thought CBS did a... Oh, yes. Okay, what I was going to talk about. So... There's a lot of people saying Tiger's back, right? But he's he's been back, right? Yeah. Other, other than having some uh, surgeries, I think it was like in 2017, and he's had since his last major, he's had like f- three back surgeries, a neck surgery, he tore his ACL and his uh, Achilles, and uh, I mean, essentially, he's rebuilt his body and rebuilt his swing numerous times, right? But through it all, he's been able to fight back. I think he was. I don't know how high his ranking got. I want to say it was maybe number one a few years back um, when he was winning some tournaments but couldn't put it together for four rounds during a major. But the last year, last year I think he had at least two top ten finishes in majors. He was there. He was in the hunt. But it feels like he's at this point in his career just a like a very good golfer. He's not the dominant Tiger that he was in his 20s and early 30s. We'll never see that again. But... He's very good. And what's a very good golfer? Like, a very good golfer is going to be around the top, right? And once every year, year and a half, you're going to win a major, right? If you're a a Brooks Kepka or a Jordan Spieth or a... Yeah, remember when Spieth was the new Tiger? Remember when Spieth was the new Tiger? Well, Rory was the new Tiger. And then Spieth Spieth was the new Tiger. Tiger. Dustin Johnson was the new Tiger. Yeah. That's the thing. We want a new Tiger, and then old Tiger comes back, and we're like, thank you. And, it's uh, it's so hard to sustain, right? Yeah. I mean, you can get you can get on a hot streak for a year or two, like McIlroy, like Spieth, uh, and I think both those guys have more majors in their future. Sure, they're great um, golfers. But to do it so consistently year after year for over a decade, like you were saying, I don't know that we'll see that again. He won his first major championship at the Masters by twelve <laughs> strokes. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. That's like that's like a tennis player being twenty one years old and beating the field. In straight sets. Yeah. That's insane. And I think I think he is going to win at least another major. And I think he'll put pressure on the Nic- uh, Nicholas record because of the way he's been performing. He's I don't think he's peaked. I think he's still on his way back because golf is such a game that requires so much precision and things like that. And you say he's tweaking his swing and things like that. I think he's arrived at a point where he's comfortable and confident in his swing. And he's only gonna, he's going to stay consistent, I feel like. I hope so. I hope he stays healthy. I think that's the biggest thing now at this at his age. Um, he's had so many surgeries and so many injuries that you hope his body will hold up. And he says had had such a violent swing. His swing is less violent now. It's kind of like Nadal, right? Like Nadal, mm. Rafael Nadal in tennis. I thought you said when, a doll. Sorry, I thought it's like a doll, and I was like, where is this going? But when 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 Rafa's on, he's basically unbeatable. When he's on clay, you mean? Well, no, like when he's on his game, when he's fully healthy. On clay. No. I mean, look at his head-to-heads against Federer. On clay? Everywhere. Hmm. Yeah, he owns Federer. On clay? On every surface. Hmm. Um, Carry on. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, just look up Federer-Nadal head-to-head. I know how to Google. (laughs) Uh, But he has such a violent swing that it wears him down, whereas Federer is just pure like grace right he's like glass on the on the tennis court and like glass like smooth smooth as glass sure because when i think <laughs> not of, jagged glass yeah when i think of glass on the tennis court i think of like cancel the tournament <laughs> get somebody to clean this up smooth we do as glass. not want glass uh, you mean like like water what's their, that's what's like, their head to head dude i have to react to your uh, funny 
phrasing before I can move on. The storied rivalry is blah, 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 blah. Yeah, what's... Yeah, find their hat. I'm trying, dude. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but, so I don't think the question is, is he back? He's been back. I think it's, can he sustain... What is it? I don't know, dude. I'm trying to find it. Is it 2315? Is that what I just saw? I don't know. Where are you seeing that? List of all head-to-head matches. It just lists them one by one. It doesn't give you, like, a difference. No, right there. Right where? At the very top. Why are we so bad at Googling? So, in Grand Slams... He holds a nine to three advantage over Federer head okay. to head. And in other tournaments, it's so it's a twenty three wins for Nadal and fifteen wins for Federer. Yeah, super dominant. Uh, nine to three, I think, is pretty dominant in the Grand Slam. Yes, yes. Yeah. which uh, which, like I said before, are the only things we care about in, in tennis. Yeah, and I think in tennis, especially like players take off tournaments. You know, like you see it a lot where the world number one will lose in a first round somewhere. Uh, either preparing for or usually after a major because they just they're done right they want to rest up I remember in PGA Tour 2009 on Xbox 360 I wouldn't skip any tournaments well I would play every one because you wouldn't sim through I no I believed in the integrity of the game and plus you get stat boost every time you play right so why skip a tournament when you can get those stat boosts so then you go and crush the majors mm. you go to the open and you're like what I've been playing all year you're all swollen stuff because you can make your get like all big and crazy. Mm. Looks like it. Uh, swinging like that. Uh, big arms. So one of my... Uh, Golf games. My critiques of, mm. of the CBS coverage. I think for the most part they do a fine job. And they had a really cool package um, when he won showing his father embracing him after the 97 Masters. And then went to Tiger embracing his son. And, uh, and that was just a very, um, very cool kind of imagery. And uh, to, see, to see those two put together, if, if you have children uh, or you think about your parents, like, I, I think that's like a really tear-jerking type of moment. So good on CBS for putting that together, right? Another one of my favorite quotes, uh, Tiger said his dad had a heart condition. He wasn't supposed to be wasn't there. He wasn't supposed to be there. Yeah. He gave him a putting he lesson. He had a heart on attack. Put- yeah. He gave him a putting lesson on the putting green, and he said, well, and the rest is history. <laughs> How about that? Um, but but my, my major critique of CBS, and they've been doing this for a number of years now, is when they do the green jacket presentation, they do it indoors, in the clubhouse. And it's, it's uh, uh, what's his face, who's calling the, the broadcast? Uh, what's his, oh, like, why can't I remember his name? The CBS guy, everyone knows who he is. Except for us, apparently. I know. I can't. I can't, I can't think of his name right now. Um, and then you've got like the the head of Augusta National. Then you've got the last year's winner, and then you've got the high amateur, and then this year's winner. So you got five people sitting in a room, and they're just talking to each other, doing doing an interview. But it's it feels very mm, artificial. Yeah. Right. For sure. And. One of the greatest things about sports is to watch the reactions of the winners, the losers, to get the interview right after victory or defeat, to see that raw emotion. Mm. Um, the, because, Richard, the Richard Sherman interview comes to mind. Yeah, yeah, the Richard Sherman with uh, Aaron Andrews, mm-hmm. right, when he's talking about, uh, what was the, the Crabtree? Crabtree? Yes. Michael Crabtree? Yeah. So that's seared into my memory because I'm a big Niners fan, so that kind of sucks, but that moment's really cool. Yeah. And um, and you have you have some of the most memorable quotes from athletes right after victory or right after defeat. And in and in golf, well, at least for the Masters, they used to do the whole presentation and interview and everything on the green, hundreds of fans around, cheering, crying, um, really awesome TV. And for whatever reason, I'm sure there is a reason, but I don't, I can't understand it. Um, they now do it. All just on a set indoors, and it sucks out the raw emotion of it all. It's very golfish. I think I know why CBS has done this. All right. Okay. Think of the average age of the common CBS viewer. Seventy-two. Okay. If you're a seventy-two-year-old person who watches golf, uh-huh. do you want to see yelling, screaming, smiling, or celebrating at all? I think you underestimate how much. Our secta and octogenarians love drama. They eat it up. They love it. It's all they live for. No. Nope. Act like you've been there before, Tiger! (laughs) 
so much basketball. Basketball happened. It started. Basketball, so much basketball. Basketball season started. It feels like real basketball now. I feel like all that 82 games of basketball was not the real basketball, especially in the Eastern Conference. But then now we're in the playoffs and the Western Conference is like interesting and, and teams are losing that should be winning in the East. And then they're blowing it's out crazy. the teams. It's, it's in the West fun. too. Yeah, yeah. It's been, it's been really great. Uh, the Warriors game was even entertaining even though they were blowing out the Clippers. Because Patrick, Patrick Beverly became one of my favorite players just because he's annoying. But annoying in the cool way. Like annoying if, like, if he's on your team, you're like, I love how annoying you're being, Patrick Beverly. But the Warriors were like, you're annoying me, right? Yeah. In that annoying kind of a way of being annoying. Like so annoying that Kevin Durant and he both got ejected. And it was super fun to watch. And uh, something I do want to talk about that's kind of like nuts and bolts basketball-y. Okay. Uh, the way that teams have been guarding James Harden, like the Jazz were guarding him in a particular way that I understand the logic behind, but when it didn't work for the first three quarters, maybe they should have switched some things up. Because what they were doing was they were putting his defender right on his right hip. Left hip. Left hip. So they were forcing him to go right. right. Forcing him to go off uh, his offhand and denying him that step back to the left, which he prefers to shoot. Mm -hmm. So what did he do? Well, he drove to the lane and alley-ooped it to Clint Capella a thousand times. I swear he had more alley-oop dunks than the Jazz had baskets. It was ridiculous. And then after three quarters of that, they don't do it. I understand the logic behind that. You take away the Rockets' strength, which is James Harden step back threes and James Harden uh, make you know penetrating with his strong hand. But then so you just give him something. There's a difference between just like letting someone do it. And I'm talking letting him. Like the Jazz player would be on his left hip, like basically allowing him to dribble with his right hand straight to the basket. And I'm like, that's dumb. Like give him like force him right. Don't force him straight. And what was happening? was he would go down, he would either lob it to the guy for a dunk, or he would dish it to the corner for a guy to shoot the three. So the Jazz adjusted, and they were starting to send another guy out to the corner to defend that. So what did the <laughs> what did the Rockets do? They just did a pin-down screen on the baseline to open up the guy in the corner for a wide-open three. I'm not a basketball genius. Well, <laughs> Clearly. I, I, know, I, I, know, I, know, I know enough about <laughs> basketball to be informed about what's going on when I'm watching, right? Right. And I could see these steps... Going, you know what I mean? I could see the processes that the coaches were going through and the adjustments they were making. Yeah. And I was like, Quinn Snyder, who's lauded as a great coach, and he is a good coach, especially yeah. on defense, after the second quarter when you haven't been stopping them and when they outscored you in the paint, which the Rockets do not do, they're like last in the NBA in points in the paint. When they're outscoring you in the paint, when you have Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert and uh, Donovan Mitchell, who score a lot of points in the paint, you need to adjust something. So what did they do? They doubled down on that style of defense where they were forcing him, not well, allowing him to go. Like, uh, Kenny Smith was really smart the way he said it. He said there's a difference between forcing someone to do something they don't want to do and then allowing them to do something that they may not want to do, mm. right? If you were forcing him right, you would actually force him to dribble with his right hand to the right. But instead, yeah. they were just allowing him to go straight forward. And I don't see why they didn't make that adjustment. It may have worked a few times, but... A brilliant player like James Harden is going to find a way to beat you. And there were even a few times where he would just step back to the right and shoot a three and make it. He did that two or three times. So it's like, clearly it's not working. You're a great defensive team. Just go back to playing defense the way you did before when last year you almost beat this team. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's one of the hardest things to do in basketball is to stop an elite player. Yeah. Right? And so there's the different theories. Do you try and contain that player? Do you just shut down everyone else? And the Rockets have a number of other really good players. Obviously, they have Chris Paul. Um, and they have Capella, who can go off, who has size. But I, it's, it's a really hard task to do, especially when you have D'Antoni on the other side, who's an offensive genius, right? Um, and so I, I still don't think he gets the credit he deserves because he's never won a championship. He, he hasn't won a championship, and he's cranky. Well, all bad. I mean, we love Greg Popovich, and he's the but he's won a championship, cranky. right? That's so yeah. you, 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 you excuse crankiness when you're Nick Saban, Bill Belichick, Greg Popovich, right? Yep, 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 yep. yep. Uh, <laughs> so, so playoff basketball. I don't know. What, I mean, I guess it's just the stakes, right? Because it is so much more enjoyable to watch than regular season. Oh, basketball. absolutely. And it's the same thing with baseball. Yep. You know, every pitch matters, and. Uh, I just, I, this is probably my favorite time. Mm, I'm going to say October is my favorite time of year mm. for sports because you, you get news or actual games from all of the major sports. But this is a close second, especially May and June. 
when you get deep into the playoffs. Um, baseball's picking up, and like you're actually seeing trends in baseball that mm-hmm. makes sense over a, a bigger sample size. Yeah, hockey's done. Yeah, um, and the NFL draft is coming up. The NFL draft is coming up. Uh, Zion Williamson's declared for the NBA draft. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. It, I don't think I would call it news because I think that was one of the most obvious things ever. Yeah. Yeah, there wasn't, I know ESPN had across their ticker today, like, breaking news, Zion Williamson declares for the draft. Breaking news, we all knew. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. the only breaking news would have been if he stayed an extra year. And uh, I don't know how much that would have cost Duke and Nike, but it would have been a lot of money. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I, Coach K puts a magical halo around that university and around that, <laughs> that around that program, man. Yeah. So I, I saw stats, something like uh, 74-75% of Game 1 winners in the NBA playoffs go on to win the series. So wait, a team that wins earlier than the other team has a higher chance of winning the entire series? Wow. That's exactly right. What an right. amazing stat. Uh, That's incredible. That blows my mind. So there were three away teams that won their first game. How about that? Uh, two of which were super surprising. So the Spurs beat the Nuggets. Like the Spurs, the Spurs are kind of like the Patriots. Obviously not as dominant, but it's like you. It doesn't really matter who's on the team. They're just gonna do well, mm-hmm. right? And Popovich is just gonna figure things out, and he's always gonna have his team competitive. Yeah. Even though they were the seven seed going into this playoffs, like they're not a traditional seven seed. Right. So they well, beat the Nuggets. The plot thickens here. Yeah. So you remember last week we talked about the funny interaction that Greg Popovich had when he was thrown out of the last game of the season against the Nuggets. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like less than a minute into the game. Right. And he gets all buddy-buddy with the head coach. 63 seconds into the game. Now what does he do? Yeah. He beats that same team. Right. So you know what he was doing? He was back in the booth. He was watching the film. He was doing things. He was putting together his game plan for this game. Greg Popovich is an evil genius and a curmudgeon, and we love well, him. Well, that's like, yeah, Bill Belichick texting Sean McVay throughout the season. Right, Bill Belichick would text Sean McVay after Rams games. I'll really like what you did there. Yeah, what were you thinking with that? Yeah, it really worked out well. And I don't know if he's texting all of the other coaches in the league, but the fact that he is like mentoring Sean McVay and then play meets him in the Super Bowl and just humiliates him in the Super—he was McVay was totally outcoached. I just I can't believe Sean McVay was going like well. on that type of play I usually run this play but then I doubt that was going on yeah I don't I don't think he's like opening up the playbook to Belichick but but the still just like any contact at all like well this is what Popovich was doing with this Malone guy yeah he's like oh I'm all buddy buddy with you I'm gonna crush you in the first round and humiliate you as a seven seed my best player is DeMar DeRozan so the Spurs he's actually really good I didn't I don't want to disparage DeMar DeRozan but they lost Kawhi Leonard yeah. Did, they, did they call him Claw with a K, Kawhi? Uh, I think it's, is it with a K? Like Claw know. with a K, because Kawhi, the Kawhi Claw. Yeah. I just think of, uh, I just think of Liar Liar. The Claw. The claw. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other two teams were surprising, though. Magic beat the Raptors, right? Raptors gonna Raptor, man. Raptors gonna Raptor. <laughs> Kyle Lowry, did he score a point? No, but his plus minus was positive. <laughs> That's right. Okay, so that was the weird thing, right? Was that, you sent me this tweet, that... That I don't know who it was, the analyst you were t- telling me, you sent me the tweet from. I can look it up. Or maybe we, it wasn't wanna, an analyst. We want to do this right. It doesn't really matter. The, it, but it was looking at the box score. Kyle Lowry had zero points, but had a pop, plus minus of plus 11, right? Which so is a high, huge plus minus. The highest, I mean, you would think, you know, if, if your starting point guard has plus 11, that um, maybe you win the game. Uh, but they lost by three, uh, as the Raptors do. There's something like. 2 and 13 or 2 and 10, something like that in their history in game ones in the playoffs. From Donovan Bennett, Kyle Lowry scored zero points. The opposing point guard scored 25. Jeez. Kyle Lowry was a team best, plus 11. Yeah. So he had the best plus minus on the team in that loss. I mean... And here's, here's uh, I think here's what I said to you. I think, like, over the course of a season or a career, I think you can make a case for stats telling you things about how good a player is, right? Especially if you start looking at advanced stats. Yeah. Um, when you look at an individual game, I think, you know, I think the eye test is a much better way to analyze if someone had a good game or not. 
It's something that I say all the time with Lonzo. You have to watch his game to appreciate it. Because if all you do is look at the stats, he, he doesn't necessarily fill up the box score. So you're talking about counting stats, though. Like, Lonzo Ball doesn't stuff the stat sheet when it comes to the counting stats. But his defensive metrics, like, his, yeah. like you get into the deep analytics of Lonzo Ball's performances, and... He's a wonderful defender and a good player. That's right. And over the course of a season, that'll bear out, right? right. And his shot is ugly. But if you crap. look at like any, you pluck out any game. Ugly shot. It, ugly, well, ugly shot, but also the stats may not be there, right? right. Um, but so Kyle Lowry, I feel like this is one of those cases where you watch the game, you can tell he's just struggling, right? And um, I mean, I think he had decent assists and... The, but but I, I don't know. He, well, he wasn't playing. He didn't play well, but he played at points in the game where the team did well. Right. And, as, and that's why the plus minus is positive. Right. Well, as, as the veteran point guard, um, as someone who, who played point guard, okay. Anthony, yeah. uh, in 10th grade. Okay. Uh, when you have a, a veteran point guard who knows the offense, who knows what they're doing, and can control the game, it really makes a huge difference. And I think this is a good example of that. It's one of those where. Uh, it may not be the flashiest performance by like a quarterback, for example, but the team is just consistent and they win because the quarterback did what he needed to do or gave, took what he was given or something like that. Mm. Kyle Lowry managed the game well as a point guard, obviously, because he was plus 11. And that doesn't just happen with a well, veteran point guard like that. He didn't just luck his way into having a plus 11. But I think you can is what I'm saying. Right. I think on a given game, you can. Like, if you, if you just pick randomly... Um, uh, plus minuses from from various players throughout the season. Uh, I don't know that every time you see a positive number, even positive double digits, that that's going to indicate that they had a, a good game. What's weird is that no one else on his team had that high. Like it wasn't a really high plus minus. So it was just it was weird. I, I we need to look at like all of the uh, the different lineups he was in to really kind of get into it. Yeah. But the fact that he didn't score any of those points leading to the plus minus, it's just. It's just kind of crazy, but it's 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 like what Kyle Lowry does, and like he's a really good player over the course of eighty-two games. But I don't know if it's pressure of the playoffs, um, or I mean, I don't know what it is. He just doesn't show up in the playoffs, and it costs the Raptors in past years, and it cost him at least game one, or was part of what cost him game one. The other surprising. Uh, road victory was by the Nets. How about that? The Nets beat the 76ers 111 to 102. D'Angelo Russell went off. I think he had like 23 points or more or something like that. And just so our fans understand, now the 76ers are 26. crushing the Nets. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just destroying them. They don't even look like they belong in the same gym as them right now. Yeah, they're so, uh, they're up uh, 19 points, 139 to 118. About two minutes left in the fourth. Um, so... They're gonna even the series up. I don't. I think the 76ers come back. I think this is one of those twenty five percent of the time where the, uh, the where the uh, the loser of game one goes on to win the series. I think by the next time by the next time we have a show, the Nets will be out of the playoffs. I think that's not. <laughs> I, I think Sixers Sixers in five. That was that was a fluky game that they won, and I think it is all because there was a cell phone on the bench. Yeah, that was the drama, right? Was that That's BS, dude. Amir Johnson and Joel Embiid were looking at Amir Johnson's cell phone. Supposedly because Amir Johnson's daughter was sick and he was checking in on her. He wasn't even in the rotation that day. Like, he knew he wasn't going to play. I'm not too worried about that. I mean, which of you at work listening right now hasn't checked their phone 30 times since we started talking on our podcast? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I check my phone sometimes at work. Yeah. You know, it, it happens. And he's also at work. And so when you're at work and you have a family issue going on, it's hard to shake that. And you, sometimes you just want to check in. I'm not too stressed about this, especially because he knew he wasn't going to be in the game. That didn't affect the, the Sixers' chance to win. It didn't. I could see, though, as a fan, if I see players on the bench and they're getting blow out in a, blown out in a playoff game and they're laughing at a cell phone. They were without- laughing, though. Well, it, it looked like they were, or it looked like they were at least talking and having, weren't, weren't like super wrapped up in their loss. They weren't like you know, dejected about it. Right. Um, so if, if it were the other way and they were dominating, would we even care? Would we even have noticed? I think it probably still would have been called out, but not as big a deal. Yeah. Um, but if your team has a policy, and I think it's an NBA policy. It is. That he, players he was can't fine. have he was fine for devices it. on the bench. Um then you, you just have to follow that. Even if there's a sick family member, there are ways for family members to get in contact. Like, if 
if someone was gravely ill, A, he probably wouldn't have been at the game. But B, like, I'm sure, I don't know as a fact, but I'm, I would be shocked if family didn't know of a way to get a hold of him. Contacts some personnel within the team oh, to yeah. pull him out, right? Yeah. And and so if you're, I mean, if you're that worried about it, you can, you can let the staff know to notify you how she's doing. And I, I think it's just a distraction, right? I mean, it was maybe he's out of the game, but Joel Embiid isn't, right? I yeah. Mean, and I, I see like as a cool moment where it's like, oh, how's your daughter doing? Is your daughter okay? Checking the text together. I mean, that's so I I don't look in. I don't put as much stock into it as other people are maybe. Uh. Other things, the Celtics played well. They're probably going to beat the Pacers in their series in in, in five or six, and uh, the Bucks destroyed the Pistons. I mean, destroyed them. I mean, I think even if Blake Griffin comes back, and I don't think he's going to. I mean, why play him at all in a series that you know you're going to lose? Yeah. Why risk him being injured further? He's your best player. I have a stat about that game. You ready for it now, or do you want to wait? No, I gotta wait. Save it for a later segment. What's that later segment called? Objectively correct. We're doing it again? Yeah. That's becoming one of my favorite segments. Uh, I watched uh, most of the Blazers-Thunder game. and It was an interesting game. It was an interesting game, and I love I love Damian Lillard. You can't not. He's so much fun to watch, and when he pulls up from 35, 40 feet, he's got legit, like, Steph Curry plus range. Yes, he's probably he's got the only one. range. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, the Lonely Master. And it, but it's like he hits those shots as a Lakers fan, who a team that plays the the Blazers four times a year. I've seen him do that year after year after year in close games down the stretch, making those impossible threes. Yeah, it's amazing to watch. And then you guard him at thirty five feet, and he's gonna blow by you and get to the basket. Yeah, so you and, can't defend that. And if you foul him, he's a plus ninety percent free throw shooter. Third third highest in the league this year with ninety one percent. I think yeah. the only knock on him is he's not a great defender, but like. How many elite scoring point, point guards really are? Right. right. Um, well, there's other basketball stuff, but let's talk about it in a minute. All right, we mentioned it earlier. It's time for Objectively Correct. We each have five of our favorite stats from uh, from the week or from history. And uh, all right, let's go. You want to go first? Or you want me to go first? I'll go first. Sure. Okay. The last major win for Tiger Woods was the same year Iron Man was released in theaters. Which Iron Man, you ask? Iron Man 1. Wow. The first one. Uh, I also have a Tiger Woods stat. You shared it earlier, so... Eh. Kind of... My gust was taken out again. No more gust. But it was the first time Tiger Woods ever won a major when not having a share of the lead going into the final day. Tiger Woods, his whole career, amazing frontrunner. One of, if you had to critique his career, one of the knocks was that he doesn't come from behind. Well, now he does. The last major win for Tiger Woods was the same year Barack Obama was serving the first year of his first term as president. Wow, thanks, Obama. Uh, that, that, uh, that was a long time ago. <laughs> Wait, was, it was 2008, though, right? Uh, so he hadn't that, actually taken office yet. Uh, it, uh, it was, uh, it was that, that year, just uh, uh, two, two months previous, and uh, I became president. I'm not doing that very well, am I? <laughs> no, I mean, it was pretty good. Uh, thank you. Uh, the, the, the key is, you, you know what I was doing. Huge. Ooh. Great impression. <laughs> you should see I've, seen, I've seen a million impressions. They're all okay. That one was phenomenal. It was good. Okay. I mean, it's not the best, but, uh, but it was good. You should see his hands. My hands. I got a good Elmo. On point. Have I done my Elmo on the show? I don't think so. I don't that, know. that you don't think it's good or you don't think I've done it? I don't think you've done it. I don't know that it needs to be done. I'm going to put it in my pocket. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> we'll you, save you, it. you wait to pull it out till the... Yeah, save it for a rainy segment. All right. Steph Curry passed Ray Allen this weekend for most threes in NBA postseason history. Love this stat. <laughs> it took uh, Ray Allen 171 playoff games. Respectable. Curry sitting at 91. Mm-hmm. Just over half the time. The last major win for Tiger Woods came one year after the first iPhone was released. <laughs> when phones became smart. Yeah. Uh, today is Jackie Robinson Day. Yeah! I uh, love Jackie Robinson so Day. So Jackie Robinson Day, everyone wears 42. We remember Jackie Robinson as the player to break the color barrier in, uh, in Major League Baseball. 
and um, awesome, awesome tradition. Uh, what you may not know about Jackie Robinson, he was a four-letter sportsman. He got four letters at UCLA in baseball, football, basketball, and track. And baseball was arguably his worst sport. His his uh, his one season playing on the the Bruins baseball team, he had a .097 batting average. That's only slightly better than Chris Davis this year. <laughs> I love Jackie Robinson. The last major win for Tiger Woods was the same year Chipper Jones was the NL batting champion. That's Larry Jones for his family. Is that right? Yeah. Larry? Yeah, Larry is not a Hall of by, Famer. I'd probably go by Chipper. Yeah, Larry Jones is not Larry, a Hall of Famer. Chipper Jones, Chipper Jones is the Jones. first ballot Hall Nothing of Famer. Nothing wrong with the name Larry, but just Chipper Jones. You're just saying that because of my grandpa Larry, right? Yeah, that's part of it. <laughs> but I'm sorry, Larry Levitt is not a Hall of Fame, uh, first ballot Hall of Fame baseball player. Chipper Levitt. He's getting in first ballot. The Bucks scored 70 points in the first half of their uh, in their win against the the Pistons. That's uh, the second most points scored in a first half of a playoff game in franchise history. The most scored was 77 points on March 30th, 1970, uh, led by a young Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. They ended up winning 156 to 120. Over in 1970? The 1970, over the 76ers. No overtime, 156 points. Jeez, talk about, they talk about the pace now. <laughs> Lou Alcindor was just giving them the business up and down the court. Barry Bonds, who was famous for his bat, was an eight-time gold glover. Put the man in the Hall of Fame. All right, the Tampa Bay Lightning had the most wins, set a record or tied a record for the most wins in regular season NHL history. They are on the verge of being eliminated from the playoffs. They're down 3-0 in their first round series. Here are the other regular season most wins record holders in baseball, football, and basketball. The 2001 Mariners and 1906 Cubs. Did they win the World Series? No. The 2015-2016 NBA Warriors. Did they win the championship? No. Cleveland! This one's for you! The 2007 Patriots. Did they win the Super Bowl? Eli Manning. (laughs) No. And the 95-96 Red Wings in the NHL? Did they go on to win the Stanley Cup? No. What does this tell us? I don't know. I don't know. But it's a crazy coincidence, right? So the best team in the regular season never wins in the playoffs. The team that has the record for most wins in the regular season... Has never won. Well, okay, you go back to the Dolphins. They were 14 though, right? But the Patriots have eclipsed that because of a longer season. Mm-hmm. So the current record holder for most wins in a regular season, none of them have a championship in their respective sports of baseball, football, basketball, hockey. So the the Bulls in their 72 win season, they won the championship. Yes. So that was so I, this, yeah. this stat is more relevant now right. after the Warriors. Right, right. That's interesting. That's really interesting stat. Make it stop. Make the Lakers news stop. Every week I come in here thinking the Lakers are going to be out of my life, thinking I don't have to sit here and listen to Anthony talk about Lonzo Ball's plus minus, or I don't have to talk about some JaVale McGee changing the geometry of the game. I don't have to hear about, well, Magic, he's called Magic for a reason. Yeah, a lot of Magic he brought to this franchise, right? I I thought I was going to have to hear about that anymore. But then they go and do something that puts a spotlight on them, and Anthony comes in here with like 15 minutes worth of Lakers talk. Well, I just sit there and go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, oh yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I'm at least partially into it because I'm a big LeBron fan. And so I'm like in this weird situation where I don't necessarily want to hear all this Lakers stuff, but I know it's like at the forefront of sports news right now, and I know it's something that's important to you. And I get sucked in because you say the word LeBron James, and I'm like, okay, I'll listen. So anyway, Anthony, take away this Lakers stuff that you wanted to say. So last we met yeah. on this podcast... On my birthday. Magic Johnson was the president of basketball operations. He sure was. Rob Polinka was the GM. Yep. Looks like Rob Lowe. And uh, Luke Rob. Walton was the head coach. <laughs> yeah, that guy. Of the Lakers. Uh, as we speak today, Magic Johnson is a professional Twitterer, once again. <laughs> he's, not, he's not good at his job, by the way. Uh, Rob Polinka has uh, somehow gathered up all of the power in the Lakers organization 
and is leading a search for the next head coach of the Lakers because Luke Walton is now the coach of the Sacramento Kings. You're welcome. <laughs> uh. And the Lakers, I think the it is possible. It is possible. Is Luke Walton stuck in California? I think he just, I mean, it's not a bad place to be stuck if you're a millionaire. Oh, that's very true. But I'm like, I wonder, like, if he tries to go outside of California, is there, like, a barrier that stops him? He's too, chi- like, he's too chill. He's way rest- too chill? He's too chill for the rest of the country. Well, because he's never had to coach anything. He's never had to coach anything. LeBron James coached the team while he was with the Lakers, mm. and he just kind of sat there and went, I mean, uh, here's the rotation when the Warriors were winning all those games. I mean, he, he- was there before LeBron James, but... Really? Sure. Really? What um, great success did he have? Before LeBron was there. Anyway, this is your segment. Go ahead. I just I, like the idea of Luke Walton like in a plane and they try to fly past like over the barrier and he like gets hit by like a, a invisible wall. Just sticks there for a second. Like, oh, we couldn't get Luke Walton through the barrier. We got to pull him through because he can't leave California. He's obviously left California a bunch of times because they're, they're in a plane and it travels and they go all over the country to play basketball. So, you know, I, I know it's obviously not like actually what happens but it was just a funny image that i thought would like bring some levity and some fun to this segment because you know lakers so magic johnson stepped down it was weird they were having um exit interviews like every team does at the end of the season and uh magic johnson just like walked into the gaggle of reporters and say hey i uh i have something to say i want to have a press conference and uh and he announced there that he was stepping down and um you know, I guess it's not unusual to hold a press conference to announce that. What's unusual is that no one knew. There was no one in the Lakers organization knew. No one in the Lakers organization knew. There were no leaks. Usually ahead of time, there will be something that breaks on Twitter at least. Woj bomb. Uh, but no one knew until he actually said the words. And you can watch the press conference. There are reporters. Their eyes like bulge a little bit. There's a couple of jaws that drop slightly because no one expected this news. Everyone expected that he was going to fire Luke Walton, right? Not necessarily at that moment, but they thought that like that would be his next move and they would he would finally install his guy cuz Luke was a Mitch Kupchak hire. Right? It was he he wasn't Magic's guy and and usually when the team does bad when there's a new front office executive, they pin it on the coach and then they get to bring in their guy and that buys him a little bit more time. Well, Magic stepped down and I <laughs> I I love and I hate the reason he gave for it. He said he stepped down because it wasn't fun. Because he wasn't able to be himself. He loves to mentor people. He wanted to work out with Ben Simmons, but he was made to look like a bad guy when he was said he couldn't because the, the 76ers wouldn't allow it. Oh. And and other athletes had, had reached out to him and wanted to, to work with him, but he wasn't able to do it. And he wasn't able to be the fun, carefree magic. And sure... He should do what makes him most happy. Absolutely. But just don't take the... Like, what did you think the job was, right? You were there for two years. What did you think you were getting into? Did you did you think this was just going to be a fun job that you step in and all of a sudden free agents are going to want to come? And granted, LeBron James came. I don't think that's related to Magic Johnson. I mean, sure... Better to have Magic Johnson there than than one of the Bus Brothers and Mitch Kupchak. Sure, I guess that's a better, better, uh, a more palatable franchise to, to be part of. But palatable is the right word. It wasn't like he wanted to go there so bad because of Magic. Magic had nothing to do with it. Yeah, yeah. The the, the narrative that Magic swooped in at 9 p.m. Pacific time when free agency started on July 1st and convinced LeBron to sign without talking to any other teams. No, LeBron was going to sign regardless, okay? And the fact that Magic was there, I guess, just kind of was was even better, right? Oh, oh hey, it's Magic cherry, Johnson. Cherry on top of the ice cream. So I don't know. Here's what I know that Magic Johnson did. And I love everything that he did for the franchise as a player. Mm. Um, but as an executive, he traded away D'Angelo Russell. Mm-hmm. He did not resign Julius Randle. Nope. Um, and he signed four interesting one-year contracts to Rajon Rondo. Yeah. Michael Beasley. He gone. JaVale McGee. Also gone. And KCP. Oh, and Lance Stevenson. <laughs> and KCP. So Lance we got five Stevenson. now. Um, 
putting together a team around LeBron James, who's at the end of his prime, that does not complement LeBron James' skill set. And, uh, in fact, hinders his game. And everyone knew coming into the season that this was a write-off season, right? That, that no one was expecting the Lakers to win, but but they should have been competitive. And granted, they were until injury set in. We've talked about this before, that if everyone stayed healthy, they were a four-seed at, at Christmas time. Whether they say that or not, I don't know. Their schedule got harder after Christmas, so maybe that is part of it. But... Regardless, they didn't have the talent to optimize LeBron James' skill set. The talent you need around a LeBron James are shooters and defensive, defensive-minded players. Players that can make an impact on the defensive end and make open shots. And Lakers, they don't have many of those. They have some young players who can make plays. Some of them are good defensively. Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball are, are good defenders. And Brandon Ingram really kind of was coming into his own offensively towards the end of the season. But they're not ready to win a championship. The young guys aren't. And the guys you signed aren't going to get you there, right? They were probably worse than the young players. And so what part of it was who can we sign for a year to preserve cap space to sign this coming offseason, right? Maybe Anthony Davis. Well, you can trade for him for sure, right? Well, they dro- I just wanted to mention but, but, they but, dropped the ball on that. Yeah, and, okay, and the other yeah, other things. You failed to, to trade for Anthony Davis. And everybody lost their jobs over that. Yep. The you, Pelicans team lost their job. The Lakers front office losing their jobs. You failed to sign Paul George, who for three years was trying to become a Laker. Hmm. And so the whole Magic Johnson, Rob Palinka experience... Leaves me with a bad taste in my mouth. And we we traded away young assets and don't have anything to show for it and lost out on some really big free agents. And the Lakers organization, at least from my perspective, is in disarray. And if I'm a free agent, if I'm a Kevin Durant, a Kyrie Irving, a Kawhi Leonard, a Jimmy Butler, why, other than like being able to play with LeBron for two, three more years, uh, why do I want to go there? Right, yeah. when when you could go to the Knicks or the Clippers, like if you want to go to a big city, right? If you want to be in New York or LA, there are there are are other teams, right? And I feel like the opposite of Magic Johnson is Pat Riley. Pat Riley is, I mean, he loves it. He will not leave that organization, even though he's probably at the age where he should retire. Mm-hmm. He is so passionate about what he does and so passionate about winning. That even after the LeBron years and all that stuff that he helped put together, yeah, it was it was Wade and LeBron and Bosch kind of talking about it amongst themselves, but Pat Riley was instrumental in getting all that to happen, and the LeBron years in Miami were huge, and he got the 3 and D guys around him, and he convinced Chris, Chris Bosch, with the help of Eric Spolstra, to become that 3 and D kind of yeah. helping guy, changing the NBA. Uh, Pat Riley is kind of the president that former players and former coaches need to become. Yeah, But he's the only one that's really been able to do that. I mean, Phil Jackson is a mess as a front office guy. Magic Johnson hasn't been good, right? Uh, Steve I guess Kerr the- and his attempt at, as a GM of the Suns, you know, wasn't good. Larry, Larry <laughs> Bird, Larry Bird was maybe the only guy who was a good player, coach, and front office. Danny Ainge, did Ainge coach at all? Because he's a good GM. I don't think he coached. He's a good player. Not that I know. Coach. But he's he's a good front office guy. But it's it's much harder to be a GM and a president of basketball operations than these players think it is. Well, this is the whole like Peter principle thing, right? It's where you're you're good at your job. You're so good at your job that that management comes to you and say, "Hey, you're good at that job. We're going to promote you to a job that has a different skill set." Yeah. Right. You're a great engineer. We're going to make you a manager of engineers. Right. Even though you've developed, you've dis- demonstrated no ability to manage, which is the primary skill set of a manager, right? You you have this, you know. Anyways, so you get a you get promoted above your competency, okay? And so we see players and we think, oh, they make an excellent coach, right? They're they're a great floor general, right? Or a catcher who who you know you see catchers all the time up up for manager positions in in baseball because they're managing the game right on the field i don't know if they really are but anyways you see that a lot where certain types of players point guards right in baseball catchers in football quarterbacks or catchers in baseball what did i say 
You said catchers in football. There are catchers in football, <laughs> but we call them wide receivers. Yeah. Or tight ends. Um, or running backs now. And so, Some quarterbacks so, catch passes now. Tom Brady does not, though. <laughs> uh, anyway, so you see that when players get promoted to coaches or good coaches get promoted to front office or GMs get promoted to president of basketball operations, and there's nothing to indicate that they would be good at that. And the you know, Magic Johnson has failed at everything besides being a basketball player. He had his well, own late night show. Business. He's great. Businessman. Okay, his side businesses. Businessman. But everything else in entertainment or sports has kind of fallen apart. I think even as an analyst, he wasn't very good. He was very bland yeah. and dry. It's like watching oh. him analyze games like watching his Twitter feed. But, I mean, he hasn't been good at any of these other jobs besides being a player and his other businesses. So why keep giving him jobs? He's failing up in a spectacular way. Yeah. But he's charming and people love to be around him. Well, this is a problem with the Lakers' ownership. Um, so you had Dr. Jerry Buss, who was, who was the longtime owner of the Lakers. What's he a doctor of? And don't say basketball. I think it was like a legit doctor. Of what? Like medicine. He was a medical doctor. I think so. I'll have to look that up. I don't know. I But I always assumed he was a medical doctor. I thought he was a, like a doctor of basketball. I'll look it up. Maybe. Keep going. Anyways, he uh, he was an awesome owner He because he surrounded himself with basketball savvy people. And um, I mean, probably his greatest hire was Jerry West as uh, as GM who Jerry West was instrumental in drafting Kobe and trading for Shaq. Um, but he, he, he knew his limitations and surrounded himself and filled his organization with, with basketball-minded people. Okay, Jeannie Buss, who is his daughter, what, did you pull it up? Was he a chemist? I don't know. Oh, was he? I think so. Okay, chemist. Yeah. Um, so Jeannie Buss, his daughter, is currently running the Lakers. And her hires since becoming the uh, since since taking over this role have been friends and family members. And when you're running all of these NBA organizations are essentially small businesses, right? You have maybe a hundred employees or a little bit more than that. And when you're hiring your friends and family, uh, because they're the they're, it's almost like you open your eyes and like who's closest to me that I can put in this role, right? <laughs> Who do I have dinner with on the regular? There's no, there's been no evidence of any type of process of of, of some kind of like methodical search for for hiring the right people for the right job. It's been. Oh, Magic, he was like, they were like legit, legit friends, like both in their 20s when Magic came to the Lakers, right? So like, they kind of grew up together. So let's put Magic in there. Rob Palinka, he was Kobe's agent, right? And so that's how he got the job. Luke Walton, well, Luke Walton was a former Laker. And so when you just keep staffing your organization with former Lakers or friends of former Lakers, um, you limit yourself to a very small pool and... Ultimately, you're not going to get the best people. So what they're doing now on the coaching search is... Sorry, so what you... I'm sorry. I, just re- I, 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 I would love for you to interact with me I'm during sorry. this segment. I'm sorry. I went down a rabbit hole on Jerry Buss. Did you know he was, he, he was like a high-stakes poker player? I didn't know Did that. Did you know that he was born in Salt Lake City, Utah? Didn't know that. Did you know that he once had his finger come off during a poker game? I'm just kidding. I added that last finger one. Finger come off. Yeah, a finger fell off during a poker. It's actually a Jose Canseco story. Uh, uh, supposedly, he had a finger come off in it. I'm sorry. But I was just reading up on this Jerry Buss stuff, and oh my gosh, he's a fascinating person. Awesome. University cool. of Wyoming, so that's weird. He probably studied cows. Or dirt. Hmm. So what they're doing now with hiring a new head coach. Rob Palenka is in charge of the search, but what are they doing? They're just going to the pre-approved list of LeBron James allies, right? You've got Ty Lue, Monty Williams, Juwan Howard. He played with Juwan Howard. He played Hmm. for Ty Lue, and he has a good relationship with Monty Williams. And so, I mean, if, if you have all the power, like if you at your job could pick who you worked with, wouldn't that be a great feeling? And wouldn't you want to bring in people that you get along with well and that respect you and that would let you make all the decisions? Right, I would but, love but that. just to your point you made several minutes ago, Pat Riley is the opposite of that. That's Pat true. Riley doesn't care who you are or what you want. Cut them loose. He has a vision 
for his organization. He let Dwayne Wade go. And Dwayne Wade is one of the most beloved individuals in Miami, in Florida, ever. He he picked Eric Spolstra to replace, well, to, to follow him as head coach. And when the big three got together, there were reports that LeBron James wanted Pat Riley to come back to the bench and be the head coach. And Riley, for his, to his credit, stood his ground and said, no, Spolster is the head coach. And it proved to be a very fruitful relationship, going to the finals four straight years, winning two finals. I still think Eric Spolster looks like our brother-in-law, Cody. He does bear some similarities in his appearance. Yeah, well said. Uh, well, really well said. <laughs> Thanks. So, anyways, I'll, this whole long spiel about the Lakers is oh, all has it been long. Yeah, my point is that you've you're not running your organization well <laughs> as an owner. Like you're you're the Lakers are becoming the Los Angeles Knicks. Oh, oh, that rung true to me. That like heavens open angels singing like is ringing true to me. They are the Los Angeles Knicks. And if they and if and if Genie Bus doesn't hire someone who is qualified to make basketball decisions for the team, they are going to be stuck, just like the Knicks, underperforming uh, for years to come. I, you, Rob Palenka, what are his qualifications? He played college basketball and was an agent. He looks like Rob Lowe. So and and reportedly he is disliked by other front office executives. You know why? Because. He was stealing money from them for over a decade. As right? an agent? He represented Kobe. He represented James Harden. Like, why would you want to do business with him? A, he's with the Lakers. Like, mm-hmm. no one has any love for the Lakers in the NBA. No. And B, he 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 played hardball against you for over a decade. Like, if I were a rival executive, of course I wouldn't want to deal with him. Yeah. And so if he has that bad of a reputation in the league, like, why are you sticking with him and why does he now have all of the power in the Lakers? It's just really sad as a fan because I feel like the Lakers are an awesome destination. They have such a great history. Players would want to play with them. But, like, I have no confidence in the front office right now. And I have no idea what this team is going to look like next year, let alone five, ten years from now. It's kind of depressing as a Lakers fan. I wish we could fast forward to July so I knew how it was going to shake out. What's the the name of the next owner? What's, what's his name? Uh, Mr. Dolan. <laughs> oh, you're back. You're back, New York construction worker. What are these bums doing on the court? I mean, like... Don't we get like some more seven footers? You trade away the unicorn. So here's here's my question, Mr. New York construction worker. Would you rather? Where's my hard hat? I don't. I'll find. We'll find it in a second. You don't need the hard hat. Give me a coffee. Okay. Oh, later. So, would you rather be a Los Angeles Lakers fan or or a New York Knicks fan? Oh, today. I mean, like, come on now, man. I mean, come on. Are you asking me this seriously, bro? Yeah, I'm asking. Okay. I mean, like, come on, think about it. Okay. Okay. I thought about it, so I asked you. Okay, I mean, like, this is just a, a silly question, bro. Why? Okay. If it's so silly, then answer now instead of, like, hedging for five minutes. Okay, because, like, the Knicks, who they got? I don't know. They got nothing. Yeah. Okay. At least the Lakers, they have a something. They got a LeBron James, the king. You ever heard of the king? Get out of here with this question. This has been the Subjectively Correct Sports Podcast with David Henderson and Anthony Montague. Tune in weekly for sports talk and other stuff.